Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, uh, we're launching also uh, a new series. We're calling it Own It. We're talking about in these next three weeks, we're going to talk about the idea of moving from a, a renter mindset to an owner mindset. Now, this is not a series dissing people who rent, okay? So hang with me here. Uh, you know, when it comes to rent, Trina and I have spent more time renting apartments or homes than we've had, you know, trying to purchase one. Uh, so this is, this is not about that. What I'm talking about is this idea that there's a, there's a mindset or an attitude that is prevalent, it's different between that of a, a renter and an and owner. Take, for example, my, one of my friends. He's, uh, he's a very cautious driver, very careful, takes care of his vehicles, um, you know, does all the oil maintenance stuff that you're supposed to do on time. Uh, he takes good care of his vehicles, uh, obeys speed limits, um, uh, doesn't get tickets, and uh, we're on a trip, and we're going to Alaska. We're going fishing. So we land in Anchorage. Uh, we rent a car, and my friend is driving the car, and we notice that a transformation has taken place in him. When we're driving to the airport in Oregon, he's very cautious and careful as he goes to the airport. But when he's driving this rental car, he's been transformed from a cautious driver into a NASCAR driver. <laughs> he's speeding, he's taking risks, he doesn't really care about the car. And, uh, and uh, one of the things is like, man, dude, you're, you're driving like a madman. I mean, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna beat this car up. And he says, ah, oh, don't worry about it, it's just a rental. And, uh, and, and it, what it does, and he's right, I mean, it, it is a rental. He, he's not going to have to plan the, the, the maintenance. He's not going to go buy new tires for it. He's, you know, if a rock kicks up on the highway and puts a nick in the windshield, he's not going to have to be the one that worries about replacing the windshield. And so he's, that's why he's saying, oh, it's, just, it's just a rental. But what it does, what, 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 what he did there, and what many of us do, not all of us, but, but many of us, it just exposes this, this, this sort of this principle, put up here on the screen, that our standards for what we own are higher than our standards for the belongings of others. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You go on skiing and you rent a pair of skis. You treat them differently than if they were your own. Uh, you rent tools from Home Depot or Lowe's, Lowe's and you just may not care for the tool as much as if you owned it. Or it's renting a car. There's this mindset that kicks in and, uh, and, and our, 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 we just think differently when we own something versus borrowing or, or renting it. Now, here's what I want to do in these next three weeks. I want to talk about what it looks like to own your faith, to own your walk with Jesus. What would it look like if, if we owned our walk with Jesus and what, you know, what, what steps would, that, would it take to, to do that? And the second week, next week, we're going to talk about owning the family. This week owning your walk with Jesus, and we're going to talk about owning the family. We're talking about what it means to be an owner in the church, to own the church and to own, own the family. And the third week, we're going to talk about owning the mission, this mission that Christ has trusted us with. What does it mean to move from a renter mindset to an owner mindset when it comes to the mission that Jesus has trusted us with? So that, that's where we're going in these three weeks, and where I want to go today, to jump in, is this is idea of owning it and owning your walk with Jesus, owning your faith. And as I, as I get started, let me just take you back in time. Uh, a lot of you know that before I was a pastor, I worked in business. 
I worked for United Parcel Service for a lot of years, and then I worked for a manufacturing company in Hoodover, Oregon. They manufactured fishing tackle, um, and, uh, and it was a very fun industry. I was production manager there, a, a very fun industry. I liked to fish, that was a bonus, um, and it was, I, I enjoyed working there. And I had a guy I worked with, he was my boss, a good leader, uh, his name was Don, and Don was also a Christ follower. Now, as I was working uh, at Lord Jensen and working under, under Don's leadership, I, I, I started to pick up something about him. He was a Christian, and, and yet his relationship with Christ seemed different than mine. I talked a lot about God. I talked a lot about, you know, about, about going to church and learning about God and, and following God. And yet he talked about Jesus and he talked about Jesus in such a way that it just seemed like he was so familiar with him. And I felt this gap between my experience and Don's experience. In fact, what happened, and by the way, when I say he's, he talked about Jesus, I'm not talking about the, the kind of super, you know, kind of over-spiritualizing religiosity that sort of nauseates people around you. I'm not talking about the overtop kind of stuff like that. I'm just talking about authentic, sincere faith in Jesus for a guy whose heart is hot, who, who, who there's a heat to his spirituality. And right away as I'm working with him and hanging around him, I, I have this longing in me that, that rises because I, I want that kind of friendship with Jesus. Yet at the same time, as I see the heat to his relationship with Jesus, it exposes something in me, it exposes the coolness of my own walk with Jesus. And so I have this, this tension to manage, this, this tension of, uh, I, want, I want that kind of friendship with Jesus, at the same time, I, I have this temptation to go to this, this, this self-condemnation. This, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not experiencing that like he's experiencing his, his friendship with Jesus? And, and, and so I, I, I kind of pushed aside the self-condemnation stuff and started pressing into my friendship with Don. And uh, in fact, one day I said, dude, it just, it, just seems like, it just seems like you know Jesus so much better than me. And he sort of threw his head back and laughed, wide grin, and he says to me, oh, Steve, I do know him, and you know him too. But there's more. And you just need to ask him for more. And it just struck me, and I, 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 I love what he was saying, but even as he was saying that, and as I wanted the kind of heat to, to the, my spirituality that he had, um, I realized very quickly that when there's more, I realized that there is a price tag, there is a cost that must be paid to own your faith. There's a cost to, to pressing in and, and, and knowing Jesus. At, at greater depths and levels. Now, Jesus talked about this. The writers of the Gospels, uh, they, they mention this. Luke in his Gospel, uh, Luke chapter nine, captures this story here. Uh, Luke writes, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. 
But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about a price to be paid. Now, I want to hone in that last part of verse 62 where where Jesus says, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We look at that, and oftentimes, you know, in, in our, maybe, maybe you work in the farming industry, or maybe you're a gardener, and you got a huge garden, and you know that, you know, when you put the furrows in, you want them nice and straight, and you read something like that, and um, what, we, what we do is we'd say, well, um, you know, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, just keep your eyes ahead of you, keep your eyes on the destination, go straight, stay on the straight and narrow path, um, and, and there's truth to that, about staying on the, on the straight and narrow path, um, but you got to understand that um, furrows in the, in the garden, that, that's, that's how we farm. My, you know, my father-in-law, Trina's dad, he's a big uh, gardener, has a huge plot of land some years ago. He had a tractor out and, and said, hey, you drive the tractor. You create the furrows and uh, just keep your eye on the fence post. Go straight. And I tried my very best. When I got to the fence post and turned around, it looked like a giant python had gone through the, the field. And he had to just kind of plow it all up again and, and get another crack at it. That, that's sort of the images that come to our mind when we talk about you know, putting your hand on the plow, not looking back, um, and that, that you can stay on the straight and narrow path. But unfortunately, that's not the point of what Jesus is talking about here. Um, Jesus is referencing something that everyone in that day, they would have known what Jesus was talking about. They would have connected to a story from the past. And the story they would have connected to is a story found in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's the call of Elisha. Now, I want to read that text. It's a pretty short little text. And you're going to see some similar language in this text that I just read from Luke chapter 9. Um, Elijah, he's just had his high moment on Mount, Mount Carmel where the fires come down from heaven. He's gone a bit of a funk into depression. He's coming out of it, and God's given him the, the task of placing some calls on people. And one of them is Elisha. So, uh, 1 Kings 19, 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. When uh, Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. This would have been in those days a way of saying, hey, the office that I have walked in, this office of prophet, I'm taking this mantle and I'm putting it on you. So Elijah does that. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will go with you. That should sound familiar because I just read that in Luke chapter nine. That's what one of the people said. And Elijah replies and says, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So now Elisha doesn't go back to his parents, but what he does next is interesting. He says, Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. It's fascinating what Elisha does when the call of God comes to him. There's a call of God for him to be the next prophet of Israel. And the mantle is put on his shoulders and, uh, and, and he's got the, he wants to go back and say goodbye to his family and, and there's something about the prioritization of, of receiving the call that Elijah says, and be careful here. And, and maybe it's because family's gonna talk him out of it or you know, we don't know all the details behind it. 
But what Elisha begins to do is he goes back to his oxen, he slaughters the oxen, he takes his plow, he turns it, he uses his firewood, he starts a fire, he has a massive barbecue, and he takes the oxen, the meat from the oxen, and feeds his entire village. What has he just done? He's just removed all the options in his life to go back to an old life as he embraces a call. He's just made it impossible for him. He's a blue collar guy. He's an, he's an average Joe. He's, he's just, he's a farmer. It's an agriculture, sort of herbaceous kind of environment. And he's, and he's, and he's that, that's his living. And, um, and he, he gets rid of it all and follows this call to follow Elijah. There's a, there's a conqueror, his name is Cortez. Cortez crossed the ocean, gets to Veracruz, and he's gonna, he's, he and his, his armies are gonna conquer this, this, this land. And what Cortez says after they've set up camp in, uh, in, in Veracruz, he gives the order to his next in command to burn all the ships that they have just sailed on over the oceans to get to this country. His first in command kind of chuckles, thinking he, he's, not, he's not serious. Cortez himself takes his sword and plunges it into the chest of his first in command. And, and has him killed. Quickly, the rest of the forces there realize, this guy's serious. And so they burn their ships. What was Cortez doing? He was getting rid of all the retreat options. Everything that would keep them from, from retreating and going back home. Because it's all about moving forward. And this is what Elisha has done. He's burned his plow, he's slaughtered the oxen, he's burned the ships so that he can embrace the call. And what's going on here, he's paying a price. And the cost he is paying is the price tag of abandonment to the call. He's abandoned himself to this new call that he had no idea was coming. He, he, didn't, know, he didn't get an email saying, hey, today something kind of weird's gonna happen out in the field. No, this, this call comes and he abandons himself to it. Now think for a moment of what he would have missed out on if he had not embraced the call. He wouldn't have seen Naaman healed. He wouldn't have seen a woman who was struggling with infertility become pregnant. He wouldn't have seen a family uh, have a financial crisis resolved. He wouldn't have seen an ax head float. He wouldn't have counseled kings. And as wonderful as all those things are, it isn't just about those experiences, it's what those experiences reveal about who God is. It's, it's in those moments when you get to see God at work that God takes you to a deeper place with him because you get to know him. And abandonment to your friendship with Jesus will cause the heat in your heart to, to, to rise and and you'll come to know him even more. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus right now. And I want you to think about owning your relationship with Jesus. Let's just take a discipline like prayer for a moment. Most people feel like, man, I just, I'm not, I, I really need to grow in that area. I, I feel that often. What would it take for me, what would it take for you, for us, to elevate the priority of our times when we're talking to Jesus. That's what prayer is. What would it take for you and I to, to spend more time in prayer and talking to Jesus? And right away, what you have to realize is that there are things, there are distractions, there are, there's things that are, that, that, that basically it's competition for your heart. 
It could be sleep. It could be Netflix. It could be, it's a whole, you know, and it could be a lot of things, and those things aren't necessarily bad, but what ends up happening in our walk with Jesus, it's like we got, we got a foot in, in both camps. And what we need to do is identify those things, like just in the, the area of prayer. What are the things, what's the competition for a thriving conversation with my Christ? And what you have to understand is identify those things, and then what you need to do is burn the ships. Burn the plow, have a barbecue, and, and get rid of all the options that would distract you or take you away from engaging in conversation with your Savior. And friends, that's how you practice abandonment. That's how you begin paying the price so that the heat of God's presence could rise in your heart and you could own your faith with him. That's the first price tag you pay. The second price tag you pay, I want to kind of allude to it, beginning in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, um, it, it contains this, this God, it's kind of an odd story tucked in a bunch of other really amazing stories. Um, but Matthew captures it in chapter 12, verse 46. Uh, words will be on the screen behind me. It says, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Man, if I was preaching a series on the will of God, I would, man, I would camp in this text for a while because he's talking about, what he's saying here is that his family's on the outside and he's saying, we want, we want our son back and, and, and he, Jesus is saying, who's my mother? Who's my brother? And Jesus says, well, it's, it's these people who are doing the will of God. And what are these people doing? Nothing. Except being in the presence of Jesus and listening to him. I mean, if I, if I were preaching the will of God and I, I wanted to preach on listening, I'd preach on that, but I'm not preaching on that. So uh, let's just catch another angle on this, on this story. Go to Mark chapter three. We'll put the words up on the screen. Same story, different angle. It says in Mark chapter three, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. Look, here's what's happening here. The moment that you burn the ships, you burn the plow, you, you, you have the barbecue, you, sat, you, you slaughter the oxen, and you abandon yourself to your relationship with Jesus, the moment you do that and, and, and you lean into your, your, your faith with Jesus, what you're going to be confronted with is then this, this idea of then allegiance or loyalty to Christ. And, 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 and that's the second price tag, allegiance. Because what's going on here is Jesus, is, he knows who his mother is. He knows his Mary. He knows his brothers. They don't know him. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They will after the resurrection. But what he's getting at here is, look, when you adopt the customs and the culture of the kingdom of heaven, what you suddenly realize is that the customs and the culture of the kingdom of heaven and whatever culture you're living in, whatever country you live in, or if it's in America or some other country, if you're, living on, if you're listening on a podcast, 
But for us here in America, when you embody the culture and the customs of the kingdom of heaven and you're abandoned to them and you're loyal to them, they are going to collide with the society, the cultural values that you're living in today. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna feel tension. And the tension you're gonna feel is, am I gonna be completely loyal to the kingdom, to Jesus? Or am I gonna sort of compromise in some ways and put feet in both kingdoms? You, you can't put, if you want the heat to rise, and there's more, you can't have feet in both kingdoms. It's abandonment, it's complete allegiance to Christ, but what happens is, when you begin living that way, the people who are often closest to you, family, mothers, brothers, and sisters, some of you, this is your reality, they will look at you and they will say, you are out of your mind. What, what are you doing? Are you part of some cult or something? I mean, I can't believe you. See, it's the, it's the high schooler who has a boyfriend or girlfriend, and the pressure's being put on them to sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Because that's, that's normal in culture today. So if you're a high schooler, you're feeling that pressure, and then when you say, no, I'm, I I'm actually see this thing called sex as a gift, and I wanna save it for the day I get married, what you're gonna have is someone look at you and look at you like, you're just, that's weird. That's, don't you know that everyone here kind of behaves this way, but see, your allegiance will lead you to a place and say, no, that's, that's not how I'm living. Or maybe, maybe some money's coming your way and you're writing a check. And you're writing it to a, maybe a faith-based nonprofit or you're writing to a cause or to your, to your local church and uh, your family knows about it and they're going, do you know what you could do with that money? Do you know what you could have? Do you know where you could go? And your family could say, man, it seems like you're nuts, you're crazy. And you might have some influencers. In Jesus' case, he's got his, his mom, brothers, and sisters thinking he's out of his mind, he's losing it, and then he's got the religious establishment that's saying something pretty strong. That guy's demonized. And he's not just demonized, he's demonized by the, by the head demon, Satan. That actually, there's, there's, he's mentally off. There's something going on here that's just, it's just too drastic. You could have people very close to you and people perhaps you work with or maybe people in society who look at you and say that, man, there's something wrong. You are strange. And by the way, when it comes to heat rising in your heart, I'm not talking about someone who's been living in a crazy tree, falling out of it, hit every branch on the way down, and trying to be strange for Jesus. Okay? We've all met. I'm not talking about being weird on purpose. I'm talking about when the values of the kingdom are colliding with the values of culture. Where are you going to land? Who are you going to follow? You can't follow both. Sometimes those values do align, but they will not 100% align. And if you want to own your faith, you're going to have to burn your ships, burn your plow, slaughter your oxen, and you're going to have to, as the Spirit empowers, choose loyalty. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm, I'm talking about a mentality that says, I, I want to walk with my Savior as close as I can. Now, here's what happens. When you pay the price tag of abandonment and you pay the price tag of allegiance, the cost of discipleship, 
what ends up happening is you begin to grow in spiritual authority. Okay? You, you, you burn the plow, slaughter the oxen, burn the ships, and you pursue loyalty with, with Jesus, what ends up happening is you begin to grow in spiritual authority. This was the heat that I felt when I was close to dawn. It's spiritual authority. It's like pushing up next to a campfire in the fall. It warms your clothes, it warms your, your skin and your body, and you can feel it in your bones. It's spiritual authority. And it's God trusting you with more of who he is. Now, some of you may know the name Charles Finney. Finney was a revivalist in the 1800s. He had no desire to be a preacher or a revivalist. In fact, if it wasn't for God's grace, he would never have chosen on his own to follow Christ. Uh, He was working in a law office, and one day when he was uh, walking to the, the office, he sensed God convicting him of, uh, of the sin in his life, of his, his, the gap between where he was and where God is. And this conviction, by the way, the word conviction, it, it can feel like a negative term. See it as an invitation. He's inviting Finney to close the gap. Finney makes the decision to take the morning off. He goes into the woods in Adams, New York, New York State, He goes into the woods and he begins to confess his sin out loud in the woods because this this need for God has just, it's just overwhelming him. He had no interest for God until that morning when he was walking to work. He goes, he's confessing his sin out loud in the woods. In his autobiography, he says, "I I was also in the back of my mind thinking, I hope no one else is in the woods. Interestingly enough, history records that many people went to that same place in the woods. He confesses his sin. He's starting out his new relationship with Jesus. He's been exposed to religion growing up, but um, he has no idea what this all means. He goes to work. He works the rest of the day, the afternoon. His boss leaves. He stays in the office, and he has a, a, a kind of a urge to keep praying, and he goes into the, the back part of this office, and I want to read to you what he writes in his autobiography. Finney says, I closed the door and turned around. My heart seemed to be liquid within me. All my feelings seemed to rise and flow out of the thought of my heart. All, the, all those, those feelings that seemed to rise and flow out of the thought of my heart was, I want to pour my whole soul out to God. Look, some of you are there. But you're wondering how. Stick with me. The rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room back of the front office to pray. There was no fire, no light in this back room. Nevertheless, it appeared to me as if it were perfectly light. As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed to me as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It seemed to me that I saw him as I would see any other man. He said nothing but looked at me in such a manner as to break me right down at his feet. It seemed to me a reality that he stood before me and I fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I wept aloud like a child and made such confession as I could with my choked words. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet with my tears, and yet I had no distinct impression that I touched him. I must have continued in this state for a good while, but my mind was too much absorbed with the interview to remember anything that I said. As soon as my mind became calm enough, I returned to the front office and found that the fire I had made of large wood was nearly burnt out. 
But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without any memory of ever hearing the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression, like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love for I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can remember distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was spread abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally bellowed out the unspeakable overflow of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me one after another until I remember crying out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear it anymore, yet I had no fear of death. The next day, Finney burned his ships. He quit his job at the law office and began going and telling people about Jesus. He abandoned himself to this call that he sensed complete loyalty and spiritual authority began to grow in him. So much so that stories are told that when Finney one time, he pulled into Boston Harbor on a ship, and when that ship pulled into Boston Harbor, people spilled out of their homes and offices into the streets and confessed their sin. Another time, he was on a train and pulled into New York City. When his feet hit the platform in New York City, stories have told of men piling out of their, the pubs and bars they had been drinking in all night into the streets confessing their sin. Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying that's normal. Okay? But what I am saying is that's spiritual authority. But more than the remarkable effects of Finney's encounter, what I really want you to see and hear is how it all began an invitation. Charles Finney, I am convicting you of the gap between where you are and where I am, and I want you to recognize it, and Finney responds to an invitation. And frankly, the world has not been the same. What would happen if you and I owned our faith to such a degree that we burned our ships, burned our plows, slaughtered the oxen, abandoned ourselves to this friendship with Jesus, the heat rises in our heart, we're total, we're total loyalty, we're a, a legion, I mean, in this collision of cultures, we're, we're living out the kingdom of heaven. What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. I it would ha same thing happened to my friend Don. It would ignite something in someone who is longing for that kind of relationship with Jesus. Or in other cases, it could be so extreme that actually the spirit of God falls on them and they say, I, I must be in relationship with this Christ. Imagine all the hopes you have for your family. Imagine all the hopes you have for your neighborhood, the hopes we have for our city, a city of peace with God, the hopes for our nation. What if it's all linked back to one person owning their walk with Jesus? Think about what God might do in you, in me, in us, if we owned our faith. Some practical ways that we can begin owning our faith. Here, here's some things I would suggest. Answer this question. What is quieting the longing 
And what I'm talking about here is, even now, the Spirit of God is catalyzing something in you and you're wanting more. You'll walk out of here, you're gonna have some awesome hot dogs and chips, meet some new people, and you're gonna enter in your week. What this week is gonna hit the mute button on that longing that Christ has planted in your heart right now? What's the stuff, what's the competition out there that would pull you away from leaning into the longing? What's suppressing it? What's quieting it? Identify that. Those are the ships that need to be burned. That's the plow that needs to be burned. That's the oxen that must be slaughtered if you want to own your faith. Second thing I would say is this. Begin asking Holy Spirit to expose any lack of loyalty to Jesus. Now, when you begin praying this and take notes, either on your phone or a piece of paper, do not go to a place of self-condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's bringing them to your mind because he wants to be in a deeper friendship with you. Okay? So just begin asking Holy Spirit to expose those things. And the third thing I would, I'm just pulling right from Finney's story. What if you took a half day or maybe a full day, call it a soul care morning or a soul care after a soul care day. And what if you began praying those things that that Holy Spirit is exposed? And you began confessing, maybe even out loud, find your quiet place. And you start processing what you've been hearing with Jesus. Now, that'd be a great way to begin owning your walk with Jesus. And as you do this, let me tell you something. The, the heat will rise. The heat will rise. And your God, he draws near to those who draw near to him. And you'll begin on your faith. Let's pray about that. So Lord, for every person in this room right now, says, I, I, I want more. I pray for those right now who are frustrated, who have prayed this before. I just feel stuck. I thank you that even in our stuckness, Lord, nothing is impossible for you. You're greater than the, than the issues where we feel stuck. I pray for those, Lord, who are longing. This is a new experience for them. Oh, Lord, fan those flames. Fan all these flames. Quicken us. We want to walk closely with you. Speak to us, empower us, fill us with your spirit. For some in the room, Lord, you have incredible encounters you can't wait to have with them. May hunger and thirst rise in this place as we seek to walk with you. We love you. We know you love us. We're grateful for that. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.